This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. We're talking about fasting, uh, and somebody told me at the beginning of the series, you shouldn't talk about fasting during the holidays. Um, I, okay, fine. Uh, maybe a bad time of year, but I think it's helpful because the majority of people don't think, when they think of the Christian walk, we think of Bible reading, we think of prayer, we think of church attendance, we think of uh, you know, confessing sin and repenting, and all those things are part of the Christian life. But many people don't realize that fasting was always in, in uh, intended to be part of the Christian life as well. And so many people don't talk about fasting. They don't know about fasting. Some people have never fasted before in their life. Um, for me, uh, growing up in church my whole life, I never heard a whole message on fasting before. Uh, I heard it mentioned bits and pieces here and there. But when Jesus taught the apostles and uh, how to pray, he told them, hey, when you pray, here's how you pray. When you give, here's how you give, and when you fast, here's how you fast. And the idea was not be if we fasted, the idea would be when we fasted, here's how we should do it. And so uh, tonight I'm talking about fasting for our city. Uh, when we take a look at the book of Jonah, we see a, a city that was given over to sin, uh, that was called to repentance, and the role that fasting played in that. We're actually going to read the whole, whole chapter of Jonah chapter 3. It's only 10 verses, but uh, really important uh, for us tonight. Jonah chapter 3. We'll start in verse number one. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach it unto the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he caused to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water." But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, and let them every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. A lot of stuff to unpack in this, and really, really, we don't have the time to do that, but before we jump into the kind of the meat and potatoes of it, I just want to give you a quick review over things we talked about when it comes to fasting. Um, so if I blaze through this kind of quick and you're, you're trying to get your bearings about you, we've already talked about this at great length for the last four weeks, and so if you missed those, you can get caught up uh, on our podcast that way. But when we take a look at fasting, what we're talking about from a biblical perspective, spiritual fasting entails reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. I'm going to skip a meal, multiple meals. I'm going to do without a certain type of food. Uh, I'm going to do without food and water for a certain period of time, not just because I'm busy or because I want to try to lose a little bit of weight or anything along those lines, but because I want to be closer to God. 
I'm going to replace my mealtime with prayer. I'm going to replace my mealtime with scripture reading. I'm going to replace my mealtime with repentance on my face before God. Uh, I'm going to spend my time uh, with God uh, in this time of fasting. When we talk about fasting, biblical fasting always deals with food. Uh, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament means one who is empty, uh, one who has not eaten, and one who is hungry. So when we're talking about fasting, uh, we're not talking about doing away with maybe listening to music for a day and call that a, a music fast, or uh, we're not going to take the stairs and sit in the elevator and call it an elevator fast. Those things might have their place. They might be helpful in, even in your Christian life. But when we talk about fasting, we're always talking about food 100% of the time. Three different types of fasts that we see in the Bible. We see uh, what we sometimes refer to as a normal fast. This would be uh, the, the abstinence of food, uh, but continuing to intake liquids. Uh, that would be what we would call a normal fast. So I'm not going to eat solid food, but I'll, I'll drink water, I'll drink tea, I'll drink coffee, I'll drink uh, protein shakes or fruit smoothies and things like that if I'm going for an extended period of time to make sure that I get the caloric intake that I need, my body gets vitamins and minerals and uh, the nutrition that I need, I might do that, but I'm not going to eat any solid food. Uh, now, one can do a normal fast for an extended period of time. Uh, so, but then the other type of fast would be a partial fast that we see in Scripture. Um, sometimes the, uh, this super bummed me out, the Daniel fast was made into like a diet plan and they sold a bunch of books called the diet, the Daniel diet and how you should eat more vegetables and eat less meat. That just sounds terrible to me to begin with. But uh, the bummer about it is if somebody used that story in the Bible of a partial fast and basically tried to make a, make uh, they're, they're living off of it. That was a bummer. Uh, but the idea behind this, and it was really popular like 10 years ago where people were losing all kinds of weight on the Daniel diet and stuff. And look, when you eat vegetables for, for like every meal, you're going to lose weight. That's just a given. Uh, it doesn't mean it's best. doesn't mean it's healthy. There's a lot of other things to, to factor into that as well. When we talk about the, the partial fast, Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. I'm only going to subsist myself on these, uh, these, this pulse, these vegetables. Uh, and so he did away with a certain type of food for a certain period of time. So you might say, hey, I'm not going to eat bread at all this week. Uh, I'm not going to have any type of meat this week, or I'm, not go I'm going to uh, not have uh, whatever it is. And for me, uh, I mentioned in the first week, I'm currently going on a 45-year broccoli fast. And so and the Lord's given me just a lot of victory <laughs> over it. And uh, I don't even crave it anymore. God just delivered me from that desire. And so... But again, funny story of that is, is that when we fast, it has to be something that causes us literally to sacrifice. And so, uh, again, I could go another 45 years without eating broccoli, and I would be a-okay. Uh, now, to not eat pizza for the next 45 days, that would be a sacrifice. That would be an example maybe of a partial fast. Last type of fast we would refer to as an absolute fast, no food, no water, no liquids, no nothing. Uh, again, I don't recommend this for an extended period of time. Uh, in the Bible, we see uh, three men, uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, who do a, did a supernatural absolute fast for 40 days uh, with no food, no water. Don't try it. You'll definitely die. Uh, absolute fast, though, again, by, by day two of an absolute fast, you're going to be feeling really, really crummy. Uh, and I usually recommend against extended absolute fast because whatever you're trying to accomplish probably isn't the best with you laid up in the bed uh, feeling like you're going to die. And so uh, you're probably not accomplishing your spiritual goal to do that. And so for me, typically when I fast, I'll typically do a, a normal fast. Uh, I won't have any uh, solid food uh, for whatever period of time I've determined to fast. The idea of fasting, though, is we always declare an idea behind it. Here's why I'm fasting. 
Um, again, a spiritual fast has a reason behind it. Here in this case here, they were fasting over the repentance of sin, and they were fasting because they wanted God to show mercy on their city. That was their reason. We talked about last week about fasting for our children and fasting for the next generation. We always have a reason behind our fast. I don't say, I think I'm going to fast this week, but I'm not really sure why. Uh, man, I, I, I need to fast because I want to get closer to God, uh, because I want to spend more time in the Word, because I want to spend time in prayer, uh, because I need to repent of sin, uh, because I, I need God's assistance in something I'm going through in life, uh, because I'm broken over maybe the sin of another person, maybe in my family. I'm going to fast and ask God to work in a supernatural way on my behalf. And so there's always a reason behind why we fast. And so as you take a look at this story in the book of Jonah, uh, chapter number three, uh, we see that they had a reason why they needed to fast. And uh, verse number three here, we see a clear call to repentance, first of all. <clears throat> so if we see Jonah as he goes into the city of Nineveh here, verse number three says, and Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city. So this was a really large city of three days journey. So it's going to take Jonah three days to kind of get through this to the city of Nineveh. Now we're not really sure uh, exactly what that means. Does that mean it took him three days to get to the outer city limits? Uh, does it mean that it took him two days to get to the city limits and then another day to walk through the city? We're not really sure exactly how Jonah proceeded through the city, but we know this. Before he ever got to the city, he began to call for repentance. Verse number four, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried, and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So before he ever even got into the city, anybody that was around, he let them know, hey, here's why I'm here. It's important to note that the greatest thing that our nation faces today is not the, the, the count that we have in the, the Senate of Democrat and Republicans and things like that. Our number one problem that we're facing is not a socioeconomic problem. The number one problem that we have facing our uh, world today is not the things that are taking place in the Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. It's not inflation. It's not oil prices. It's not about you know, electric vehicle credits and things along. The, our number one problem in the world today is the same as it always has been, and it is sin. Number one, everything else is secondary to that. And that might sound really harsh to say on the surface, but we just have to dig a little bit deeper to say what that means. If sin is our number one problem, and it's not, say, for example, something like racism, which, again, our, our social justice folks want to jump on the bandwagon of whatever is popular today. Uh, racism in America. I hate racism with every fiber of my being, but it's because of a deep-seated hatred for, first of all, sin. Racism is a result of sin, period. And so we can try to, to pick off these individual little things that, that are out here, but if we deal with sin, that's going to take care of everything else. Abortion is a black eye on America. Again, if you look around the world, abortion is not the, the status quo and the norm in the majority of nations. We're one of the nations that actually celebrates death. That's embarrassing, but we're not going to uh, beat the drum every single Sunday against abortion. We're going to beat the drum every single Sunday against higher level category, sin. Human trafficking. Embarrassing, awful, hurtful 
Uh, some of you might know, not know this, but Hawaii is kind of the crossroads between the mainland United States and uh, Southeast Asia where sex trafficking and human trafficking is very rampant. And so if they're on their way to the United States, usually there's some type of crossover here uh, in Honolulu. Uh, and, and honestly, it's sad to say that, that our government and law enforcement has really little to do with that whatsoever. Uh, there's a task force for that. I saw an article a couple of months ago on the task force against human trafficking. There's like 15 people on it. And they've made one arrest in the last eight years. <laughs> it's just like, wait, 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 wait. Somebody's not taking this seriously, right? And so we can be the church that gathers together to fight against sex trafficking in our city, or we can be the church that bands together against a higher level category of sin, and you take every awful thing that happens, whether it's child neglect, child abuse, uh, all these other things, and what's the overarching problem that we have? It's sin. And so the only answer to sin is will always be repentance. Look, our, our city, I don't know if you scroll headlines. I can't, I don't sit down and watch the news. I, my heart can't take it. Um, I, I typically don't read news articles unless they're of unique importance to us. Um, and so I, I try to stay away from that because I don't want to fill my mind with negativity. Uh, and you might say that that's a new age power positive thinking thought. It's actually a biblical thought, Philippians 4.8, to think on the things that are true, lovely, just, of good report. Those are the things I want to focus on and think on, not the things that are going to drag my heart down. And so that's just, that's just a helpful thought there. But our, if you've read the, the, the news lately, or even skimmed headlines, it's getting pretty rough. Um, whether it be uh, a beating that there was in Waikiki of a 21-year-old man who was beaten by four men and left for dead and died. Uh, that was this past, like, a Tuesday, I think it was. Uh, to carjackings that have taken place. Uh, many folks who have uh, parked their cars around here over the last couple of years gotten their cars broken into and things along those lines. And uh, we look and we say, okay, things just aren't getting better. So what do we do? I mean, we, we need to elect, you know, politicians that are tough on crime. We need stronger legislation. Uh, the, and then the question becomes, does legislation fix things? You can't legislate morality. You can't force people to be kind. You can't force people to obey the law. And you can make all the laws that you want to and, and steepen all the penalties that you want for everything, and it doesn't make a lot of difference. I remember two years ago when there was a shooting at a, a massage parlor, I think it was in, in Georgia, where against this man was targeting uh, Asian workers. There's this big, huge push for stop Asian hate, and uh, the president says that he's going to make tougher uh, penalties against people who perpetrate hate crime against Asians. And it's just like, what in the world? That fixes nothing whatsoever because we haven't dealt with the real issue, and that is sin in the heart of man. That's the issue. And so our city doesn't need a change in politicians or a change of legislation. It needs repentance. And again, if anybody believes that things are going to change in our city and our state because of the new folks that just got elected, how they're going to turn things around and plans and programs, let me just tell you, you haven't been paying attention. Everybody makes promises, nothing changes. Why? Because we didn't get to the root issue. Why is drug abuse rampant in our city? Why is alcoholism rampant in our city? And the answer to that is the sinful heart of man. And so we can say things, again, I grew up in a, a small town in Kentucky. The 
town that I grew up, grew up in at the time was considered what's called a dry county. Uh, I mean, they don't sell alcohol in the entire county at all. Uh, they just voted um, about 10 years ago to make it a wet county and so that this will create more tax money for schools, right? Uh, and so it's just like, oh, my soul. Uh, and Kentucky, again, I remember when I was in, I was probably in middle school at the time that they enacted a lottery and all the money was going to go from the lottery was going to go to schools and help schools and improve education and all that other stuff. Um, and then you look at that and you say, hey, did that really fix anything? And the answer to that is no, because we didn't really get to the root of the problem. Again, uh, my town tried to legislate no alcohol. What would happen? People would drive across uh, county lines to get alcohol. And then they began to say things like, well, we won't, we won't sell alcohol on Sundays because that's a, no lie in the South. There's still places like this. Don't sell alcohol on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. Like you go into like a 7-Eleven and they got like a curtain pulled down over the alcohol section. Like you can't even buy it. You go into like a Chili's and there's like covers on the bar stools. Like you can't sit at the bar on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. Has that really fixed anything for us? I don't think that it has because we never really got to the root of the issue. So again, Jonah, when he goes into town, doesn't say, hey, I think I'm going to set up a meeting with the king and see if we can you know, get some uh, leverage with the king and maybe the king can enact some laws uh, that will bring about change in the city of Nineveh. No, no, no. God says, I got a message and I need you to just go and tell people. And Jonah says, okay, and before he ever even makes it into the city, he's calling for repentance. And so it's interesting if you look, verse number uh, three, no, verse number two, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Hey, Jonah, here's what I want you to say. And Jonah says, okay, and he went. And so you and I, we have a message that God's called us to preach as well, and you and I, we're messengers of the gospel, and believe it or not, what our city needs the most is the gospel. Look, we can't fight these people that are defacing our city with graffiti. But man, if, if they could get saved, that would fix something. These people that are breaking into cars, what should we do? Should we set up a citizen vigilante task force? Man, I would love to do that, man. I want one of those extendable batons, like you pull out and you like whip it like that, and just like, mmm. I, I want to. I'm going to confess my carnality to you because I already confessed it to the Lord. With all this graffiti nonsense that goes up, and for those of you that don't know, we we paint over all the graffiti and have for the last nine years. If there's any graffiti in a two block radius, we paint it over it always. And when we paint over it and we give them a fresh canvas to, to now do their, their, their deal upon, I see that. And I, I, I one time almost, I was like this close to printing out signs that says, if you graffiti these walls, we will not call the police. We will break your arms. And I thought to myself, I'm not even going to bother calling the cops. I'm just not. I'm going to break your arm and let you call the cops with your broken arm. Hey, some guy came. I was spraying graffiti on this wall, and some guy came and broke my arm. I would love that. Uh, in my flesh, in my flesh, we don't do that. That's not the answer. It might feel good for a minute. Not the answer, though. What's the answer? The answer is the gospel. That's what fixes things. Romans chapter 10, verse number 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Hey, the problem with sinners is most of them have never heard of what Jesus Christ has done for them. 
And how will they hear unless someone actually tells them? Oh, yeah, that's good. We should tell them. Yeah, we should. That's the answer. So when we think about making a change in our city, we think about the gospel. That's what changes hearts and lives. And some of you might be sitting here tonight saying like, hey, I'm not from here. This is not my hometown. This is not where I grew up. Uh, I, I don't really have any skin in the game here. I'm just here for a year, a couple years, work. I'm here for vacation. Hey, look, if God brought you here in his sovereignty, this is the place where you have been placed to live for the glory of God. I don't care if you do it for three months, six months, six years, 60 years. This is where you're at right now. Own it. That's what God's called you to. And the message that we have is not our message, it's the gospel message. Hey, look, people won't like our message, guaranteed. You've broken God's law, you stand in danger of God's judgment, and Jesus is the only thing that can save you from your sin. Not a popular message, doesn't give people the, the feel-goods. There's a, a church up the street, I won't say what it is, but you can find it, it's really easy. Uh, they're having a Christmas block party with food and brews. Um, and uh, live music and stuff like that to, to get the people in the community. And my wife says, no, that's not true. When they talk about brews, they're probably talking about coffee. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm certain of it. They got, that's why they didn't say coffee. They said brews. Uh, and sure enough, you look on their, their website, all the people that are being a part of this, one of it's a, a company that uh, makes um, special craft beer. And I just thought, God help us, you know. Could we get a bunch of people on a block to get together and drink beer and sing Christmas music all day long? All day long. Look, we would run out of beer before we ran out of people. How many people can we gather around to say, you've broken God's law, you stand in danger of God's judgment, and you must repent? How many people could we gather for that? I don't know, but I'm willing to give it a shot. How about you? We'll do it on Christmas Eve, and we'll do it again on Christmas morning. And somebody mentioned this morning that they think that those two services are the same. They're two separate services, so uh, you should come to both. Put them on your calendar, plan on being at both. Don't pick and choose. Come to both. But here's the idea. That's what we're going to do on Christmas Eve. Now, again, I'm not going to stand up like Jonah on Christmas Eve as people come in that are a little ways out and say, repent. In 40 days, God will destroy you. I'm not going to do that. But you know what the call on Christmas Eve is going to be? To repentance, guaranteed. And so we have a message. It's not our message. If people don't like our message, it is what it is. But we don't get to change the message just like Jonah couldn't. Hey, go and tell these people what I said. Our job is to deliver the message, not to critique or revise it. Hey, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a paper boy throwing out papers. If you don't like the paper, I didn't write it. Hey, I'm just a, a, a dude sowing seed. If you don't like the, the fruit that crops up from it, uh, it ain't on me. I'm just, just tossing some seed out there and trying to water wherever I go. Because that's what's going to make a difference in our community. And again, I'm thankful for our police department. They're overworked. They're underpaid. Uh, you might not know this, but Honolulu Police has some of the lowest paying uh, police force in the nation. Uh, I have friends in law enforcement in California uh, that say, we'd love to live in Hawaii, but we would take a 66% pay cut to become a police officer in Hawaii. It's just like, I can't afford that. 
And look, they're doing the best that they can with what they have, uh, and I'm thankful for any programs that they have, weed and seed, or putting more officers on the street and stuff like that. But hey, look, the real change is going to take place when the people of God own their city and take it seriously. And so I'm asking you to like real deal be involved in what takes place in our city. This is not just a place where we sleep. This is a city where God has given us to reach with the gospel. When we see in this passage of scripture, though, that when the people of Nineveh, they got the message loud and clear and their repentance was demonstrated in fasting and humility. Verse number five, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Get that. Jonah says repent. And what did they do? They believed God. I, I I'm, I'm just foolish enough to believe that if you and I are just honest with the message that comes from God's word, people will just believe God. Because the gospel works. There's a guy who came at the invitation of his coworker two weeks ago. And if you were here on a Sunday morning, I preached on uh, the Abrahamic covenant and circumcision. It was like 85 to 90% of my message. This guy leaves the service and says, Pastor, that was exactly what I needed to hear today. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, I don't get it. You know? And he's like, I needed to hear that God keeps his promises. I needed to hear that God expects something from us if we really belong to him. And I said, hey, man, has there ever been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? And he goes, no, but I think I need to be. I agree. And Jordan had the opportunity to sit down and go through the gospel, and then he got saved. What was it? Was it the great message that we had that day? Yeah. Circumcision's a real go-getter when, the, when it comes to evangelism, right? Bring all your unsaved coworkers and family members this weekend. I'm going to be preaching on the Abrahamic covenant and circumcision, and man, I don't think if somebody's not saved, that'll be the Sunday that they do it, right? What happened? We just preached the Word of God. People saw the Word of God in action by your love and your hospitality, and the gospel did the work. The people of Nineveh, they heard Jonah's message, and again, if you realize Jonah's spirit towards the people at Nineveh, I'm sure it wasn't like three points in a poem. I'm sure he's probably just like, repent, God's going to wipe you off the face of the planet. Repent, God's going to wipe you off the face of the planet. And what did they do? They heard it and they repented. Again, we take a look at verse number five. They believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was a garment of mourning. Uh, think of like kind of like a burlap, like potato sack. It was like that. And it was a way to purposely afflict yourself to show that you were embarrassed, that you were ashamed, that you were in mourning. And these people were broken by the fact that they had disobeyed God. And here's the thing. True repentance brings about real change. When a man repents of his sin, you're going to see a real difference in his life. When a woman repents of her sin, you're going to see a difference in her life. When a family comes to faith in Christ and repents, you're going to see change. And look, the type of change that we want to see in our city doesn't come from government programs. It doesn't come from legislators in office. It doesn't come from people voting a certain color. It comes from true, heartfelt repentance. 
And I can't make anybody repent, and you can't either. But the Holy Spirit of God can. And so we should pray and fast and seek God's face for our own personal repentance and repentance in our city. That's what I'm challenging you with. I don't know how many of you as part of your regular prayer time pray for the city of Honolulu that it would come to Christ and know Jesus as Savior, but I imagine that number's pretty small. The number of people who have fasted in the last 30 days for the repentance and righteousness of our city I think would be infinitesimally small, if at all. That shouldn't be the case. How many people have complained about our city? I think 50% might be a, a, maybe a low number. <laughs> well, we complain about traffic or how bad things are getting, how ugly people are, how unkind people treated them or something like that. We can all complain, but none of us want to do anything about it. God's given us concrete things that we can do. We can pray and fast and, and pray for repentance in our city. There was a brokenness and mourning over sin. When we truly repent, we will recognize where we stand with God. David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, writes a psalm of repentance, and he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. I'm always concerned with people when I share with them. Now, again, everybody's response to the gospel is different. And when I share the gospel with people and I say, Jesus is willing to forgive you of all of your sin, all of your wrongdoing. He's willing to wipe it away and give you a a new life and make you a new creature and help you to know him and walk with Jesus and forgive your sins. And people are like, "Eh, yeah, that's cool. I'll take it. Hmm. But, but do you understand how bad your sin is before God? Yeah, yeah, it's bad, but yeah. What do I have to pray? It's just like, ah, I don't think you get it. It doesn't mean that everybody has to cry when they get saved or people need to, uh, you know, weep and mourn. But people should be smitten with the idea of the depth of their depravity to be able to see the beauty of the grace that's found in Jesus Christ and the disparity of that. Look, if I'm a good dude who by accepting Jesus Christ becomes a better dude, then I'm just making a small little upgrade to my life. Jesus is a bolt-on to get me a little bit more horsepower in life. But if I see that I'm a wicked, depraved sinner who has no hope of God's love or eternal life, and I see that God extends to me the greatest olive branch known to man, his own son, Jesus Christ not in turn for my righteousness or my good works, but in turn for my faith and me willing to turn from my sins. Oh, man, then I see Jesus for who he truly is. Man, these folks at Nineveh, they recognize we have messed up. Everybody, sackcloth, ashes, nobody eats, nobody drinks. This is how broken they were over their sin. Hey, you see those cows out in the field? Get a big piece of sackcloth and lay it over them. They ain't eating today either. The cows don't get to eat today? Yeah, nobody eats until we make this right with God. That's how seriously they took their own sin. And so we flippantly mock sin, make fun of sin. Sin's become a joke to us, but these people, they were broken over their own sinful condition. They saw their standing before God, and they said, this isn't right. We need to fix this. And so 
We see in this passage here that the people of Nineveh were concerned about their city, not just themselves. Again, we can get tunnel vision and just focus on me and what I got going on. And, you know, I can, and let me just tell you this. If you're the type of person that, that finds something to gripe about in living in Honolulu, like, you're probably an insufferable human being. Uh, but, I mean, think about it. People spend their whole life saving money to come here for a week and you get to live here. Okay, traffic's bad. That's fine. Put on some worship music and praise God. Like, and, and look at the mountains, you know. Uh, did you want to shovel snow this morning? Like, I mean, I'd be happy to send you there. Uh, but that was a joke. Um, but again, we find things to complain about, but we re- very rarely find things to praise for. We want to gripe and complain that things aren't different, but we're not willing to do the things that make things different. So God gives us the opportunity to pray and lead people to repentance, but we're so concerned about ourselves that we typically don't give other people a second thought. And so we see here the residents of Nineveh saw the need for repentance, and then they led other people to repentance as well. Take a look at verse number verse number 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even into the least of them. Now, depending on Bible scholars, they disagree with what greatest and least mean here. Some people think that it's the oldest to the youngest. Some people mean it's the, uh, the people in high-class positions, the people in low-class positions. Whatever it means, basically, everybody saw a need, and we're all doing this together. Doesn't matter if you're the king, doesn't matter if you're a peasant, we're all going to do this together. Doesn't matter if you're a grandpa or you're a young kid, we're all doing this together and we're going to help one another do it. Again, many people don't have that type of ownership, if you will, for our city. And again, we, uh, we live in a a society in a state that, despite what people might say, and again, I might get in trouble for saying this, I'm just going to say it, is often sometimes racially charged based on like, well, you're not from here, uh, you can't call this your city, uh, and things like that. And first of all, that kind of stuff's just ugly, and I don't believe that I own anything, uh, you know, anything that I have, God gave to me, and so this... You can't get away with saying, like, this land is my land anymore because, you know, it's not really your land. You know, who did you take it from to make it your land? And so all that's a mess anyways. Uh, But I'm trying to say, like, hey, I'm going to own my city. I'm going to own my block. I'm going to own my community. And I'm going to make sure that the people around me know about Jesus at least. I'm going to make sure that the people around me at least have an opportunity to celebrate Christmas with my church family. I'm going to make a difference. You see, there's a difference between owning and renting. When I rent a car, I don't really care about the longevity of it. I've never gotten an oil change in a car that I've rented before, ever. I don't care. And if the check engine light comes on in a car that I'm renting, you know what I generally do? Keep driving it. Transmission falls out, I'll just call and get a different car. I don't care. It's not mine. Man, my car, my kids don't eat in that car, right? You pick up your trash when you get out. Like, we, we take really good care of it. I've never taken a rented car through a car wash before. I've never picked French fries out of a back seat of a rental car. That's why it's, it's not mine. I don't care. But, man, the things that I own, I want to take good care of. I want to make sure that they go the distance. 
And see, there's a difference between the city that you live in, are you renting or owning? I'm not talking about do you, or do you have a mortgage. I'm talking about have you made it yours? Have you owned it? Somebody said to me, we were first starting who we call them, you know, I'm trying as a pastor to get people involved and get people plugged in and serving in ministry and stuff like that. And there was a lady who came and she was like, now pastor, like, I'm only here for a short period of time and so I don't want to get too involved and I don't want to make too many connections and things like that. And so I don't think it's best that I join the church and I'll just be here, uh, you know, I'll just attend, but I don't want to get too involved because I'm not going to be here for very long. I said, okay, how long will you be here? And she said, I'm only here for three years. <laughs> what? Like, that's 36 months. That's like 150 weeks. Like, what are you talking about? Like, not for long. But then the flip side is true as well. We had a lady who um, came to Hui Kala when we were, it's probably 2014, like we were maybe a year old. She was a travel nurse who was here for 90 days. She was here Sunday morning, Sunday night. She came every single Saturday for outreach. She passed out tracts, had coworkers coming to church, uh, had people enrolling in discipleship. Uh, and then like, she was like, all right, pastor, this Sunday is my last Sunday. And I was just like, ah, you can't leave, you know? What was the difference? Hey, I'm only here for 90 days, but the 90 days I'm here, I'm going to make a difference. Hey, I'm not going to be here forever, and that's fine, but the time that I am here, God placed me here to make a difference, to have an impact. And so, again, many of us get passionate because, like, oh, well, I'm not from here. I'm not from here either. I grew up in a small town in Kentucky, but guess what? I don't give a rip what happens in that town either. I'm not making a difference there, so maybe I should make a difference where I am. It's not a matter of like, it, my, my mom several years ago called and she was like, hey, are you guys coming home for Christmas? And I told my mom, she's like, mom, I'm already home. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And she was just, well, I mean like, come back home. I haven't lived there since I was 18. Like, at this point in my life, I've been gone longer than I lived there. Like, not home. Honolulu's home for me. This is where God's placed me. This is the town that I'm supposed to make a difference in. This is my home. This is where I'm putting my roots down. This is where I'm investing in other people. This is where I'm sowing seed. This is where I'm watering seed. This is where I'm supposed to be. How long? As long as God will have me here. Our, home, our, our city is home to 400,000 people just within the city limits. Island is full of a million people. This is the most populated remote area in the entire world. Think about that for a second. Most populated remote area in the entire world is the island of Oahu, the city of Honolulu. And so we have a golden opportunity to reach people. Honolulu is number two on the list of the top 100 most racially diverse cities in America. Number two. It's just like, wow, we can literally reach the world from our own city. I mean, I don't know how many of you walk around in Waikiki, but we were down there today. I heard people speaking German, heard people speaking Chinese, Korean, Japanese. Those were, were easy to pick up. Heard people speaking Spanish, which is weird because, like, coming from California, like, everybody speaks Spanish. Like, they make announcements in the store in Spanish before they make them in English in California, right? You come here, you don't hear people speaking that. You hear, like, well, where did that come from, you know? Why? Because we have people from the entire world that are walking the streets of our city. We, we don't have to go to a remote mission field to reach the world. We have the world that walks our streets. If 
we're willing to make a difference. And so for these Ninevites that were up until this point people who had rebelled against God, their belief moved them to action. I've said this before. It's not unique with me. I've heard it many times from many different people. Belief always determines behavior. Whatever you believe determines how you're going to live. Always. I believe that my faith is the most important. Okay, then you'll live that way. If you really believe it. It's always interesting you ask people, you know, hey, what are your priorities? Oh, my priorities are, you know, faith, family, and friends, you know. Oh, okay, how do you live that out? Well, I don't really get a chance to live that out because I work 60 hours a week. Oh, so it's not really a priority like that. And so your priorities are what you say they are. Your priorities are how you live. And your belief determines your behavior. This is no different for the people of Nineveh. What happened? They believed God. Verse number six, for the word came unto the king. He arose from the throne. He laid his robe from him, covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, and let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in their hands. Hey, nobody eats, nobody drinks. You need to be on your face before God begging him to give us mercy and repenting of your sin. Turn from every evil way. That idea of turning from is the idea of repentance. And so the king really believed what Jonah said and it made him do something about it. And there was a groundswell amongst the people for repentance that reached all the way to the king. It didn't start with the king at the top and go down. It started with the people who were two days journey out of the city. When Jonah is only a day into his three-day journey, and he says, hey, guys, you need to repent or God's going to wipe this place off the face of the planet in 40 days. Then word starts to get around, and then word makes it up to the king. You see, if we're sitting around waiting for revival to take place in America because of who gets elected in the White House, you're going to be waiting until Jesus comes. Oh, if, if the... I saw somebody post something. I'm going to choose my words. Foolish online the other day. I wanted to say un- unkind words, not curse words, but words like dumb and stupid, but I didn't. <laughs> Foolish things they posted online. Oh, man, I can't wait four more years until the Republicans get control of the Senate again. Then it's going to be a different story. Oh, my soul. So you're telling me we need to wait 48 months until things can turn around in America? And you think that's going to do it? Please. Oh, two more years when we get the, the uh, Republican in the White House, things will be different. Oh, my goodness. When you be- I'm just going to help you with something. When you put your faith in something other than God, it becomes idolatry. And one of the things that grinds my gears is so many Christians have bought into the idolatry of politics. Idolatry. It's foolishness. It's silliness. And people are willing to divide 
churches over the issue. People are willing to divide friendships and families over politics. It's not that important. No lie. I saw this posted. It was a, a Baptist church, a, a church in the South, that they had a pastor's meeting, and they had a cutout where all the pastors could come and get their picture made with a cardboard cutout of Donald Trump. And I thought to myself, that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, are you serious? And I thought to myself, nobody in their right mind thought that that was a great idea. And then you see posters, pictures of people posting online like groups of pastors around with like red hats on and thumbs up and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this is not good for the cause of Christ. And I wouldn't care if it was a Joe Biden cutout. It's not good for the cause of Christ. To say that we as Christians see our Savior as a politician is idolatry, it's foolishness, and it's harmful to the cause of Christ. Goodness, people. But you see, the people of Nineveh weren't waiting to take their cues from the king. They said, hey, we're going to repent. I don't care what anybody else does. We're going to repent. And then it started at the bottom and it made its way to the top. You see, if revival's coming to America, it's not going to start in the White House. It's going to start in the church house. If revival's going to happen in America, it's not going to start in the church house. It's going to start in my house and your house. How about that? Oh, but that's a little too close for home. Let's just pray for revival in America. And then maybe God will do something. It doesn't work that way. How about we fast and pray for repentance in our own hearts? Fast and pray for repentance in the hearts of our church. Fast and pray for repentance in the heart of our community and our street. Fast and pray for repentance in our city, in our state. Pray for our politicians that they would be saved would come to faith in Christ. How about we fast and pray about that instead of posting garbage on the internet? Look, all the YouTube videos in the world have never won somebody to Christ. All the deep state conspiracy theories never caused somebody to go like, oh wow, I didn't know that our nation was run by corrupt lizard people who are pedophiles. Wow, I think I should put my faith in Jesus to save me. It doesn't work that way. But how about this? You can preach on the Abrahamic covenant and circumcision and people say, I need Jesus. How is that? Because the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's where we place our faith. We have to spread the word of the coming judgment and the Savior who can deliver. Again, gospel. That's what Jonah did. Repent, God's gonna wipe you off the face of the planet and people changed. I think a lot of people in our nation, I know a lot of people in our city want change. We're just barking up the wrong tree. Our new police chief, he's going to be tough on crime. Okay. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I'm not putting a lot of faith in him. Oh, this new program that they're putting out is going to reduce crime by 10% in such area. 10% reduction? That means what? Nine people get shot instead of ten? Like, is that supposed to make me feel better? I don't have my faith in those things. I have my faith in a God who can change hearts, minds, lives, and even entire cities. 
And so the question I have for you is, does your belief move you? If you know about a coming judgment and a, and a Savior who can deliver, does that make a difference for you? Are, are you willing to stand up and share that truth with other people? Are you willing to stand for that? Are you willing to put a stake in the ground and say, this is who I am? I hope so. For me, I was gripped by the idea over 20 years ago that people that don't know Jesus are going to die and go to hell. And I made a commitment to make a difference in that every single day for the rest of my life. Somehow, some way. Whether I'm passing on an invitation, whether I'm living a godly life, whether I'm teaching my children, whether I'm leading my family, whether I'm loving my wife, whether I'm at a, a restaurant and I pass out a gospel track, whether I'm at Long's and I give a gospel track to a cashier, whether I'm a part of a church that's changing the world through the power of the gospel, whether I'm giving money to missionaries who are going and changing the world around the world through the power of the gospel, I want that to be my life. I don't want to just lament the fact that the world's going to hell in a handbasket and people are lost all over the world and it doesn't seem to make a difference. No, no, no. I want to make a difference. And here's what God did with the fasting and prayers of those people. God spared the city. <laughs> I love this. Verse number nine, the king says, the king says, who can tell if God will turn and repent and will turn away from his fierce anger that we not perish? Now, the word repent, some people misunderstand this. They think the word repent means to stop sinning or to uh, admit your sin. The word repent just means to turn away. And when you and I repent of sin, we turn away from our sin and we turn to Christ. If you want to think of it this way, Christ is here, our sin is here. You can't get to Christ without turning your back on your sin or repenting. And so when we talk about God repenting, it's not that God had sinned and needed to make things right. It's not that God apologized or even admitted that he was wrong. It's that God changed his direction. He was going to wipe out the city, but he saw their repentance, and he chose not to, and God spared the city. But here's the... Good news, bad news. God spared Nineveh. But God won't hold off his wrath forever. There's coming a day of judgment where people who have rejected the gospel will be under God's wrath, where people who have never heard a clear gospel presentation will also be under God's wrath. And so I just want to try to make a difference every single day for the rest of my life with the power of the gospel. In my city, where God's placed me. Hey, look, I can't make a difference in what's taking place in California. I can't make a difference in what's taking place in Seattle, Washington. Look, I really can't personally make a large-scale difference here in my city. 400,000 people on an island of a million. What can one person do? I can make a difference for one person this week. That's it. I can just work one person at a time. And if you would decide to impact one person this week, and just every week of the year, one person, it's 52 people a year. And if 100 of us made a difference in 52 people in a year, that's 5,200 people that got impacted. Man, that could actually bring about a little bit of change. But God's not going to hold his wrath forever. There's coming a day of judgment, and we need to prepare people for that. 
Do we want to see revival in Honolulu? Absolutely. I know I do. I hope that you do. Is it on your list of things that you pray about? If it's not, I hope it will be. Are you willing to fast and pray and repent of your own sin and ask God to hold off his wrath on our city while we continue to do the work? I hope that you will. I've for, for years fasted and prayed that God would end abortion in America. And talk about like big ask. I mean like how could that possibly happen? Well, we saw some movement this past year. Headed the right direction. Will it make a difference? I don't know. But I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm not willing to allow children to die that would go to homes that could be loved and raised for Jesus and live for the glory of God. I'm not going to allow people to politicize a thing that's just black and white. I'm going to pray. When I pray and fast that God would end abortion, I also pray and fast and ask that God would forgive us for being so foolish. As you read throughout the scriptures, even as you read this chapter here, you see where the people of Nineveh ask God to forgive the sins of the people. Not just their own sin, but God, would you forgive us as a nation for forgetting you? God, would you forgive us as a nation for thinking that we could do this on our own? God, would you forgive us as a nation for turning our back on truth and embracing experience and relative truth? God, would you withhold your wrath upon us as we take something that you've said in your word as the heritage of the Lord and we dispose of it at our own whim? God, would you forgive us as a nation for that? and turn our hearts back to you, starting with mine. Fasting for my city might not bring about the change that I want in my city, but it will bring about a change in me. (laughs) It's interesting sometimes people think that when we pray for things and God doesn't give them to us that maybe God failed us or my prayer didn't work or something along those lines. We need to understand this idea of fasting and prayer isn't so much about getting God to change his mind as it is getting God to change my heart. (laughs) What if my dependence on God and faith in God was the real benefit of all this? What if my time with God of personally denying myself, making myself purposely uncomfortable by skipping a meal or two or not eating solid food for a week or two or maybe even up to 40 days was the price that I paid for proof of dependence on God to really do something and move something. Before we ever here had our very first church service here at Who We Call, there was a lot of fasting and prayer that went into this. Over the last nine years, we've seen God's blessing again and again and again and again. It's been a result of, I believe, the fasting and prayer of God's people, always. But man, we want to see God do something big. And when, when I talk about God doing something big, I'm not your typical visionary. I'm not talking about God doing something big like our church gets so big we have to rent out the Blaisdale every Sunday to have church. Wouldn't that be something? Our church gets so big that we rent out Aloha Stadium to have crusades where people come by the tens of thousands to Jesus Christ. Would that be awesome? Totally awesome. But you know what would be really cool is like if one of your coworkers got saved in the next 12 months. (laughs) That would be awesome. Your neighbor down the street that needs to know Jesus, they said, 
hey, I see like you're super into your church. What's up with that? And you had the opportunity to share the gospel. That would be huge. If you worked up the courage to ask a coworker or a neighbor down the street to grab a cup of coffee or come over for burgers on Friday nights and you just talked about your faith, how awesome would that be? Man, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a mighty move of God where God's people take their faith so seriously that they're willing to be uncomfortable to advance the kingdom. That's the big stuff. And so, if you don't pray for our city, I'm not mad at you. I just ask you to add it to your prayer list. If you think, well, I'm just passing through here for a while. Okay, that's fine. I'll take that too. But while you're here, would you drop anchor for a bit Put some roots down and make an impact. Doesn't matter how long you're here, just make an impact while you're here. Maybe you've never fasted before. You might say, like, well, I don't even know what to fast for. Would you fast that God would bring our city a revival? That God would do a mighty work, first of all, in our own hearts. Second of all, in the life of our church. I'm nine kinds of fired up about 2023. Like, I cannot wait to see what God will do in the next 12 months in the life of our church. I believe it's going to be something awesome. I really do. And again, when I say awesome, I don't mean like, you know, busting at the seams growth or got to find a new building to meet. I'm not talking about that kind of awesome. I'm talking about God doing the things that only God could do. I really believe that for us. But it won't happen unless there's people that are wholly dependent upon God. Praying. Fasting, giving, seeking God's face, walking in righteousness, walking in repentance. God wants to do it, I know for sure. Are we ready for it? I hope that we are, and if we're not, I hope we'll get ready for it. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 